0: Welcome to Poets and Writers. This is Henry McCarthy, WEHC 90.7, coming to you from the beautiful Emory & Henry campus. And we've got a show for you today. I'm on the road. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina, on Merrimon Street, and I'm talking to a very, very interesting person. He has a great book out, and the title of his book is Untamed, The Wildest Woman in America and the Fight for Cumberland Island. So that's a heck of a title, and his name is Will Harlan. So, Will, welcome to the show. Thanks so much.
1: It's an honor. Yeah, so as we like to ask around the valley here, where are you from, Will? Uh, Originally from the Ozarks of Missouri, but as soon as I could, I moved to the Appalachians. I went to college at Emory and have been working here in Asheville, North Carolina for almost two decades. Will, you
0: have quite a background, and this is... I'll tell you how I found this book. Uh, many of you listeners out there know I love Quelry's books in Raleigh and Nancy Olson, who was from over in Dickinson County, started this. So I was in there the other day and my wife picked up this book, Untamed. And she said, I want to read this. I like the title. And she read it and she said, You need to talk to Will Harlan about this book. So that's what we're doing today on WEHC 90.7. Will. I want to get right to your book today because uh, we have 28 minutes and a great producer, Ivy Shepard, is watching the clock. So let's talk about the wildest woman in America and the
1: fight for Cumberland Island. Who's the wildest woman in America? Her name is Carol Ructichel and uh, she's a badass biologist who has shot and killed a man, uh, her ex-lover who was stalking her. Uh, She's also saved an island. Cumberland Island is a wilderness island off the coast of Georgia. Uh, Really the most beautiful place in the world. I proposed to my wife there. It's a special place to me. And Carol uh, is one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And I just happened to run into her. I graduated from Emory Emory University in Atlanta. And just wanted a summer to to kick back. I, I got a seasonal job as a park ranger and was really just looking to hang out on the beach for the summer. But I, I crossed paths with Carol Ructeschel. She was out on the beach and there was a dead sea turtle and she had a rusty, bloody knife in her hand. And she beckoned me over and said, come here. And Now I had heard some stories about Carol from the park service, that she was the wicked witch of the wilderness, that she had shot and killed a guy and I needed to to watch my back. So I approached cautiously. But, uh, and she was, was, in fact, wielding a knife, but she asked me to, to hold a pile of guts while she sliced open the intestines to autopsy this dead sea turtle, and olive goop spilled out onto the beach. But what she was doing was really conducting a murder mystery. She was doing this autopsy of this sea turtle and thousands of others that had washed ashore over 40 years to figure out why they were dying in record numbers. And she was doing the dirty work. She was looking at their intestines to find clues, sifting through the gut contents, to find out why these sea turtles were dying. I was hooked. And so for the next 19 years, I shadowed Carol and eventually told her story. So that was
0: 19 years ago, Will. Or more than 20, that, yeah, yeah. yeah so, about,
1: so. yep. It took me 19 mm-hmm. years to write this book. The first 10 was just simply shadowing her, learning as much as I could from her. And then uh, the last few years uh, was spent convincing her that this was a good idea to tell her story and share it with the world.
0: All right, now I'll say her name again one more time because I tend to stumble over last names.
1: Carol Ruckdeshell, which sounds a lot like turtle shell. Right. Um, And she is of German descent, but uh, has lived on Cumberland Island for the past 50 years and lives in a secluded cabin on the north end of that island and has been fighting for that island for five decades and really uh, has gone toe-to-toe against some of the world's wealthiest families, the Carnegie and Rockefeller families, and she's won a few rounds as a dirt-poor naturalist living alone on an island. Well, let's talk
0: a little bit more about Carol and how she happened to come to that island, and that's the story, and some folks call it a love story, and we know that she loves turtles, we know that she loves animals. Talk a little bit about Carol, how she, where she was
1: born, what she did, and how she arrived there. Yeah, Carol grew up mainly in suburban Atlanta before Atlanta had really grown up, and uh, she never really fit in. Uh, She loved animals and identified with nature and, and the outdoors but in the 1950s, that wasn't as widely embraced as it is now. Uh, There there wasn't a a positive image around the tomboy culture. Uh, And so she was often alone in the woods, but she would hike with her dog down to the Chattahoochee River, which was still wild back then in the 1950s. And she would even uh, spend her entire weekends in a cave along the Chattahoochee River, just camping out with her dog. She would catch fish from the river and really just live off the land as a teenager, um, often skipping school to just spend time in the wild woods. She went to UGA and got kicked out and uh, tried- She was out walking
0: around at night. She couldn't stay inside. And if I might interject this, how about when her parents took her to church and she disappeared, right? What was she doing, Will? Yeah,
1: so uh, Carol tends to break the rules. She got bored at church. Um, and wandered out to feed the feral cats that were out behind the church. Um, and she would often, you know, uh, obtain food for the cats, uh, often from uh, from neighboring folks and, and feed these feral animals. She was always trying to nurture and protect the wild animals around her. Um, and that's kind of the theme of her life. And she tried to play the domestic role when she eventually, um, tried to go to UGA and got kicked out for breaking curfew, which back then was 10 p.m. Uh, she eventually married a man, um, tried to play the dutiful housewife, mm-hmm. and just didn't work. And eventually she ended up just taking off for the wildest place on the map, which was Cumberland Island, Georgia. She worked as a as a maid. Uh, she cleaned toilets during the day for the Candler family, the Coca-Cola Candler family, uh, which had a... A big mansion on the island and at night she would spend her evenings with the sea turtles so she only slept about three hours a day between uh, sunrise and 8 p.m. when she had to check back into the mansion to to do her cleaning duties but that's how she lived for several years cleaning toilets and polishing silverware during the day and then spending all night with the sea turtles who were nesting Uh, on the beach. Oh man and that's Cumberland Island, and that is below
0: Jekyll Island. Talk a little bit about the geography there of Cumberland Island.
1: That's right. It's just south of Jekyll. It is the largest barrier island along uh, Georgia's coast. It's right at the Georgia-Florida border, and it's a national park. It's a national seashore. Anyone can go there and visit, uh, and it's really one of the hidden gems of the national park system, and it's an 8,000-acre wilderness as well because of Carroll Ructishow. Because Carol,
0: she is a wilderness lover, and I notice in your book you talk about National Park Service and so on. And I'm very, you know, having been through a few battles myself to save things, I know that uh, it's sometimes hard to get the establishment to help you out. Talk a little bit about how Carol came to save this wilderness and her relationship to some of the powers that be.
1: So Carol, first and foremost, is an advocate for the critters who don't have a voice. Uh, She thinks that they are the priority. They were here first. They have a right to continue living and doing their their thing. And so she has been an advocate for wilderness and wild places and wild, wild creatures her whole life that often doesn't square with folks who want to make money or are more focused on the human side of life. And the National Park Service, when they bought Cumberland Island, uh, wanted to turn it into a massive tourist destination and build boardwalks and even have giant gondolas taking people from one end of the island to the other and paved uh, roads and massive infrastructure. Uh, And Carol felt like there were plenty of those all across the country, but there were not very many islands left like Cumberland that were wild, that had pristine, undeveloped dunes and ancient forests that had trees hundreds of years old and sea turtles able to nest at night. So she advocated to to defend this place, and she had to go toe-to-toe with the Park Service and with some of the island residents uh, who were mainly... Carnegie, yeah. yeah, and Rockefeller families who wanted to bring more people to see their historic mansions. And so it was a real clash of nature versus culture in a lot of ways, of human history versus natural history. And that was embodied, Carol represented the the natural history side of the equation. And she felt like this island was so rare and precious that it should be protected in its natural state. And she didn't have very many political connections. She was just a poor naturalist living alone on an island but she had met one person back in Atlanta that was the key to her success. When she was hanging out on the Chattahoochee River, she worked for the state for a little while, uh, surveying the river, and she just happened to cross paths with then-governor Jimmy Carter. And she took him down the the Chattahoochee River one day, said, come on, Jimmy, come on out, I'll show you this amazing river we have right in our backyard. They went canoeing, uh, they became good friends, And later, when Jimmy Carter was president, he helped uh, permanently protect half of Cumberland Island as a wilderness. Well, and you
0: know, Carol is such an interesting, you know, writ large, shall we say, person. And I think you would agree with this. One of the things that she had going for is she lived the life. And so she was there and she could do, she could handle a pistol. She was taught by her dad some really survival skills. And she tried to work within the system, and I think that's how she originally met Carter, and then by moving there, getting in, serving as a maid out there, you yeah. say, on the island, and and just uh, fascinating. Here on poets and writers, W. E. H. C. We're talking with Will Harlan today about his great book Untamed, and it's such a joy to talk with him and. His commitment to nature, you know, you look around the valley here, folks, and I won't start preaching, but, you know, we have the beautiful Creeper Trail, the Blue Ridge, and on and on and on. So all of us want to preserve them, so we try to keep them. Well, let's talk a little bit about, and we don't have to dwell, because, you know, we have ghosts around Abingdon, too, you know, and we've had some situations in our town that go back in terms of shootings. I would call uh, Carol's situation a shooting rather than a murder. Can you talk a little bit about that
1: without getting Absolutely. into it? Absolutely. So uh Carol was out on the island alone. Uh she uh has a has a small cabin, uh, a rundown shack that she has basically built by hand by dragging driftwood plank by plank from the ocean and uh rebuilding a cabin on the island. But she live she's lived there alone for decades. When she was first out there, she fell in love with a guy and his name was Louie and they had a relationship for about a year and he also owned some property on the island. And after a while, the relationship started to, to fall apart. He was actually married. And so Carol had kind of let things go in different directions, but he was not willing to let go. He was probably an alcoholic, uh, definitely drank a lot, lost his temper. And at one point uh, just Punched Carol in the eye, knocked her down, and um, Carol fled for her life. She left the island for six months, which Carol never does. Uh, I can't get her off the island to come visit me. Uh, she she stays there during hurricanes, so nothing gets Carol off Cumberland. But she was mortally afraid of of Louis. She tried calling the Park Service, law enforcement. They said we don't deal with domestic issues. She called Camden County and. They said that's out of our jurisdiction. So she had no help from the law. She went home for six months hoping Louis would settle down. And she got a phone call from a friend saying that Louis had moved on and so she finally came back to the island. Well, it turned out, had not moved on. He was just as focused as ever and just as angry. And he ended up breaking down the door of her cabin with a uh, broken canoe oar. And as he's charging at her, she ran to the bathroom and grabbed a sawed-off shotgun and fired, shot Louis in the chest, and he died right there on her porch. And it's something that has haunted Carol for the rest of her life and still to this day is something that uh, she struggles with um, because she's someone who protects life and doesn't take it. But this was self-defense. But in the 1970s and early 1980s, you know, a woman was not as, uh, perhaps, as respected. And so eventually it was declared a shooting in in, in self-defense, but it's something that her opponents have uh, targeted and ridiculed her for and and turned her into a a villain. And uh, so I wanted to make sure to tell that whole story in this book, how it actually... Oh, I think
0: it's, uh, in in many ways, is a beautiful story. Not to death, but... uh, The story of uh, the the entire book, to me, someone described it, I think I said earlier, as a love story. It's a love for nature. It's a love for life. It's a love for women. It's a love for men. And uh, one thing, Carol uh, enjoyed men, and she liked men, and she enjoyed relating to them. And I think that uh, you have some great—normally I I don't do this on Poets and Writers, but I'm going to read a few blurbs on your book here today because it's just great— uh, it says, "Get ready to inhale steaming carcasses, gun smoke, and salty sea air." Harlan has a magic touch for storytelling. He rings out every sensory detail in this compelling sketch of a controversial, no-holes-barred life. And that was in uh, National Geographic. Writer uh, said that, and she was uh, that was Jennifer Holland. And there are just many. I, I love reading the blurbs, and normally I I don't do blurbs. But anyway, this is Will Harlan, Untamed, and we're talking about the wildest woman in America and the fight for Cumberland Island. Will, let me ask you a question about nature. How much nature do we need to survive? Now, people will tell you we have to have roads and we have to have highways and we have to have food and, uh, you know, that sort of thing, and they have to have different kinds of food. What, what, what do we need to
1: survive? Carol would say, uh, we need every last scrap that is left. And not just for ourselves. It's not just about us. We can survive without sea turtles, but the world is a a diminished place without them. Yeah, we could probably survive with just a few farm animals and our pets, but what kind of world is that without the wild? And ultimately, we depend on the wild more than we realize. And um, I think the pandemic has brought that out Uh, more clearly than ever, we need it not just for our physical health, for the ecosystem services it provides, the clean air and water, the soil enrichment, but we need it for the mental and spiritual health too. That's where we have found refuge, all of us, during this pandemic. Uh, I think the outdoors has become more important than ever. Visitation to national parks and public spaces has skyrocketed during the pandemic, and I think that shows how important it is physically and spiritually to us
0: well we are certainly seeing that folks around here are very familiar with the creeper trail which you are too you've been on it we talked earlier you've ridden it and yes uh, my friends tell me with the creeper trail club that this summer they've just overrun particularly the north part of the creeper trail and with covid people wanting to get outside and be in nature well, why do we have to have butterflies and why do we have to have those, all these little species? Why can't they just dry up and blow away?
1: Well, they deserve to be here for their own sake, first and foremost. They've been here for millions of years. That's a time scale we can't even imagine as humans. Uh, our species has only been around for 200,000 years or so. So they predate us by millions of years. Uh, we've co-evolved with them. They have helped shape us into who we are at the very least, they have a right to continue existing. Carol's very much an advocate for the rights of nature, for nature to continue existing just for its own sake. But beyond that, I think they nourish us and sustain us in a lot of ways. Uh, They pollinate our food. Uh, Why do we need butterflies? Why do we need insects? Because 25% of our food comes from pollinated crops. Uh, So it affects our diet, it affects our health, but it's not just about us. And I think Carol that's the point Carol wants to make more than anything.
0: I think you do an excellent job of stating that in the book and telling Carol's story and your story and everyone's story. I'm looking at this book and uh really gonna ask you to read a few pages. I was gonna or a few paragraphs here. I usually do that and putting you on the go spot ahead. a little bit, but I'm on page two twenty six, if you can go with me to two twenty six or if there's one that sure. stands out in your mind, but I <laughs> I love this, Carol believed that humans were fundamentally greedy and selfish. Like all animals, we competed for limited resources, and the fittest survived to pass on their genes. But then there's a debate about that. So that was one of the quotes that I saw through here. But Will, what about picking up and and taking us a little bit into your book today on Poets and Writers?
1: Yeah, let's talk about that that moment, because... One of my favorite things about hanging out with Carol were the porch discussions that she would have with guests, with her husband for 25 years, Bob Shoup, who was a, a herpetologist. They had some great, uh, really lively, spirited debates and discussions. And one of them was just uh, around this question of, are humans fundamentally greedy and selfish? and Are we just animals? Uh, or do we have another side of us that's cooperative and empathetic And she ultimately comes to the conclusion in her life that we're both, but that the nature red in tooth and claw story, the survival of the fittest story of nature is not the whole story. That that is part of how nature works. But if you look more closely, there's a lot more cooperation in nature than we realize. And that's the part part of the story that doesn't get told. And it took Carol a while to, to discover it herself. The story
0: toward the end of the chapters, the last few chapters, and I know Carol starts having health problems, and we, those of us in our 70s, and she is in her 70s now. She's now 80. Now 80, okay, she's crossed the divide. We're getting there, Will. You're about there, but you got. I we got, got a few, few more years. years. I'm kidding. <laughs> Will. Will's great. He's got all this energy, and wow, it's just what we need, so... Last few chapters, and she goes, she has, uh, her husband, I think, dies, and then she has her um, heart problem. Talk a little bit about it. And you visit her in the hospital.
1: And, and that was really the moment that inspired me to write this book, is I realized I may not have Carol around forever. We may not have Carol's insights, uh, and we need to share them with the world before she's gone. Now, she's going to be around for another 50 years knowing her. She's so tough, but... That moment scared the hell out of me, and I had never you seen. You told her... her that
0: you said you can't do this. Will kind of hurt my book, right? Or <laughs> so, that's yeah. right. And I'm so sure we, she loved it. I mean, yeah,
1: we got to we got to do this. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was a pivotal moment for me. But for her, I think it was it was an awakening of her own mortality uh, because she, she seemed to defy death. She would wade into alligator dens fearlessly. At one point, she accidentally picked up the leg of an alligator that was in a small pond with her. So she's had these incredible adventures in nature and always seemingly beats well, the odds. talk briefly about her picking up that alligator. Sure. You know, she
0: kept, And she had to gently, she couldn't just let it go. She had to gradually, talk a little bit about that. That's right.
1: She was uh, searching for uh, turtles, actually, and she had waded into this small pond. It was really more of like a puddle, no more than 20 feet across you know, a few feet deep and she reached down, she felt something hard with a stick and she reached down to pry it up out of the mud and it wasn't a turtle shell at at all, it was the back leg of a 14-foot alligator that was curled into this puddle and its head slowly came out of the water on the other end and Carol, first of all, she was with her husband, Bob, who was standing on shore, Bob took off. Bob ran as fast as he could and hid and watched as Carol slowly dropped that leg back into the water and a bead of sweat dropped down her nose and hit the water and rippled the water and as the ripples reached the alligator's face it turned and looked at her even more closely. She eventually set it down and like this scene unfolded for at least 20 minutes as she micro slowly dropped that leg and then inched her way back out of the puddle it's, and then, as soon as she was out of the water, that alligator jumped out and fled into the, into the brush. But it was just one of many stories of Carol, uh, and her interactions with the. Well, wild the alligators.
0: She loves the turtles. You don't mess with her turtles, the sea turtles, right? right? And the alligators supposedly protect the sea turtles, or did I read that? Riders. In a way,
1: they actually protects, uh, some, They protected some wood storks, some endangered wood storks on the island. Uh, you had asked earlier, you know, why do we need butterflies? Why do we need alligators? Well, the alligators kept the raccoons from getting to the wood storks. Uh, when the alligators were around, the, wood, the raccoons couldn't get up and eat the endangered wood stork nest. So there's connections that we don't even notice as humans, but that someone like Carol, spending a lifetime in the wilderness notices and can share with us. And those connections, those deeper connections are out there that we just don't, we don't really know about.
0: Well, Will Harlan, our uh, great producer, Ivy Shepard's watching the clock today. And I want to be sure and get this in. Talk a little, tell the story about the armadillo and what, and it's a very beautiful story at the end of the book.
1: As I mentioned, Carol for much of her life was a uh, you know data-driven biologist who just saw the the natural world as almost mechanical and always steered away from too much of the spiritual or the the mystical about nature. Nature to her was something observable, measurable, but uh, toward the end of the book and uh, over the past 20, 30 years, her thinking has evolved and it changed partly when she observed an, a dead armadillo in the road, and she'd seen many dead animals. She eats roadkill. She autopsies dead sea turtles. But what stopped her in her tracks was there was a dead armadillo and its partner, uh, the, the female armadillo, had stayed there to attend to the to the carcass, and it actually put a wreath of leaves around the dead partner. And Carol was stunned by this. I mean, she knew that animals had feelings, that they had relationships, but this was something that shook her to the core and made her realize that that there might be something larger than what even she had observed. And so it's opened her to see nature as more than just scientific, but uh, something that there is something larger happening in the natural world. That we get glimpses of every now and then
0: well, listeners out there on poets and writers really we're having a fine time today with a very very engaging individual will harlan we're talking about his book untamed i want to as we move along i want you to talk about what you're doing now because many of you have picked up this
1: Mag uh, blue ridge outdoor magazine talk a little bit about what you're doing now so carol and carol changed my life i spent 19 years shadowing her i'm still Uh, very close with her, and she's changed the trajectory of my life. I was a writer for many years. I still write. Uh, I was in journalism and was editor of an outdoor magazine called Blue Ridge Outdoors. But after writing Carol's book, I decided I wanted to be more like her, and uh, so I went back and got my master's in biology, and I now work as a biologist myself for the Center for Biological Diversity writing endangered species petitions and fighting for the wild just as she has. I'm not nearly as persuasive and powerful as she has been, but she's changed my life for the better and shown me a path uh, that I never would have discovered without her.
0: Well, you certainly got a great book out of the relationship and, and both of you are to be commended. And today here on Poets and Writers, as we move along to the final mention, who you dedicated this book to, and it wasn't your wife, and then mention your family, if you would. Sure.
1: So, uh, yeah, I, as I mentioned, I proposed to my wife on Cumberland Island, and we've spent a lot of uh, time there. We've camped there. We now have two kids that have hiked and camped there. But the book is dedicated to Coretta, and when that first came out, my wife noticed that and and looked kind of puzzled. Who's who's this Coretta woman uh, that got the the dedication? And... Coretta is the scientific (laughs) genus species name for the loggerhead sea turtle, Coretta Coretta. And that's really what this book was about. I I love Carol and she's such an inspiration, but the undercurrent of this story is the loggerhead sea turtle and their incredible journey. Their ten thousand mile migration back to Cumberland Island to find the beaches where they were born. And I wanted to protect absolutely. them. Absolutely,
0: your wife's name, who helped edit your book and encouraged you, we got to get that her, her name's
1: name. Emily, and she has been my you rock. Have, you have two children, two boys, of ages fourteen and seven, who love the wild just as much as I do.
0: All right, Will Hardon, thank you for being on the show today, poets and writers. Appreciate you being here in Asheville, North Carolina. Thanks so much. It's, it's quite a pleasure. This is Henry McCarthy saying, Do not wait up for me. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thanks for listening. To sail on a dream On a crystal clear ocean To ride on the crest Of a wild raging storm To work in the service Of life and the living In search of the answers To questions unknown part of the movement part of the growing part of beginning to understand